Hello and welcome to episode 599 of the podcast devoted to the classic and uh, sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. It's Monster Kid Radio and I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the podcast, episode 599. You know, that's one episode away from episode 600. Yes, I can do math. Basic math, like, like plus one. I can do math. Anyway, hi. Welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have you here. I'm happy to put out another episode this week. I feel like we're slowly getting back into the swing of things around here. You know, as I mentioned last week, there was a lot that really kind of got in the way of the Monster Kid Radio machine, let alone the Derek M. Cook machine. COVID, new job, getting engaged, working crazy hours in October. Just a lot of stuff happening. Most of it was unexpected. Some of it was amazing. And yeah, here we are. Anyway, let's talk about the podcast and what's happening this week on the show. Now, a lot of you know that I maintain a Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Monster Kid Radio. We call it the Monster Kid Movie Club. And before everything kind of went pear-shaped, I was showing movies twice a week. On Saturday, I'd load up like anywhere from six to eight movies and just play that on a loop for several days. On Tuesday, I'd switch it up a little bit. Well, we haven't really done much of that since everything happened, and I've been basically using that channel as a place to loop the Gamera movies or Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. And actually, uh, probably on Friday, if you tune in, maybe even by the time you hear this episode, if you go to twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio, you'll get the 1959 film Santa Claus. You know, the one where he teams up with Merlin to fight the devil. And I'll put that on a repeated loop for a while. Why do I bring up the Twitch channel? Because I did a session, a live session, with Stephen D. Sullivan last night on Wednesday, where we announced the nominees for the 1957 and 1958 portion of the Monster Rally Retro Awards, or the rallies. Talk a little bit more about what the rallies are once we get Steve on, because what I did is I recorded that conversation, and you're going to get that uncut audio from that conversation as this week's podcast. But even if you were there last night on Twitch and heard it live, don't go anywhere, because we've got Mark Matsky's Beta Capsule Review Triumphant Return. Not sure which kaiju got in the way. I'm, I'm looking at you, King Joe. Maybe Red King. Well, one of you two, I think, really got in the way of making sure the email that he was trying to send me so hard last week just, it just, he got in the way, man. Well, Ultra 7 is not to be stopped by your meager efforts, Red King or King Joe or whoever else was responsible. We've got the Beta Capsule Review. It's back this week. The Beta Capsule Review is Mark Matsky's journey through the entire Ultraman franchise. He did Ultra Q. He did Ultra Man, and right now we are in the middle of some Ultra 7. 7. 7. 7. I know I always promise I'll never do that again, but it's just so much fun. Also, we have Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland, so that's coming up this week as well. And then you'll hear what Steve and I did when we talked on Twitch about the Rally Awards. And then I'm going to come back on, and I'll tell you about what's coming up next week on the show. So don't tune out at the end of it. There's still stuff at the very end of the show that you're going to want to hear. But to get to that, we got to get through the stuff at the beginning of the show. And that's going to happen right now. One never knows what lurks in the chamber of horrors. The beast loomed over her, 
It grinned down at Nina, fangs dripping clouds of hot breath billowing white in the moonlight. Its eyes blazed bright red. Nina felt the heat of the thing's body burning into her. Its reek like decaying meat made her wretch. She wanted to get to her feet, wanted to run, but fear held her tight in its grip. She gazed up at the monster, paralyzed. A low growl like the purr of a hungry cat emanated from the creature's massive throat. To Nina, the werewolf almost seemed to be smiling. She screamed. Opal Cushing, London, England, that same night. Opal Celine Cushing sat bolt upright in bed, screaming. Her eyes shot wide, her heart pounded in terror. Sweat poured down her 18-year-old body. She looked around, frantic. Her sister, who shared the same bed, appeared beside her in an instant. What is it? Topaz asked. Opal, what's wrong? He killed me, Opal wailed. He killed me, I'm dead! Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors, a classic monster rally novel by Stephen D. Sullivan. Available now at Amazon and other fine retailers. Coming soon in audiobook. Thunderbird International Pictures presents The Death Curse of Tartoon, a legend black with evil and red with the blood of innocent youth. Photographed in the forbidding depths of the Florida Everglades, this is the incredible story of an archaeological excursion planned as an educational adventure and ending as a blood-spattered nightmare of incarnate hallucinations. Cold and slimy creatures without mercy hunt and kill, controlled by the soul of a rotting corpse. They danced over the grave of Tartu, who was restless in his coffin, and made passionate love on his burial mound until... They faced the terrible reality of the death curse of Tartu. Was it really a killer shark in the swamp waters, or was it Tartu, who had sworn vengeance on all who disturbed his grave? If we sit here and wait, it's only a matter of time until Tartu will destroy us all. Thrill to the heart-stopping suspense of scenes that spare no detail of horror. See the bloody massacre of terrified youngsters as Tartu the Witch Doctor returns to wreak vengeance. See the death curse of Tartu coming soon to this theater. What is it? I don't know. Ejected from unexplored secret stratus, this giant, harder-than-steel piston, disgorges strange creatures, inundating our world, twisting the emotions of women, distorting our men. This is a piece we got off the mayor. Reflex action like a snake. Cut a snake in half and the two pieces go off in different directions. These things take over a man's mind, he becomes a... A robot? A machine taking orders? Join the hunt for the hiding place of terror. Find the breeding place of these globs of destruction. In feeding the mouth parts, rupture the cells, convey the food to the stomach by a, a pumping action. Ah! 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 
that'll burst your blood vessels with suspense. See the brain eaters. Live from the land of light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty ultra heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Dan Moriboshi and Ann Yuri come face to face with the unlikely ambassador of the non-malt in the 42nd episode of Ultra 7. While vacationing at the beach, a young boy asks Ann to communicate the danger of undersea development to the Ultra Guard, but she doesn't understand why he asks her to do this. As Dan arrives on the scene, the Seahorse, a prototype underwater city, explodes Dan immediately calls headquarters to report the catastrophe and an investigation is launched. Anne mentions the boy in his prophetic warning and she and Dan go looking for him to no avail. However, the boy calls headquarters himself and when the recording is played back, they hear him speak about the non-malts as the rightful rulers of the ocean floor. He warns the Seahorse staff to stop development of the undersea city lest they attack. Furuhashi thinks the boy is playing a prank, but Dan recognizes the name Nanmal, and his concern is evident. After a fruitless search for the boy at the local school, they confront him at the ocean's rocky shoreline. The boy, whose name is Shinichi, claims that the Nanmalt are the original civilization of Earth, driven to the bottom of the sea by early humans. He then abruptly disappears beneath the waves. Meanwhile, the Ultra Hawk 1 scrambles to combat a large octopus-like monster that has attacked a fishing boat. The guardsmen assume it has something to do with the non-malts, a suspicion confirmed by another phone call from Shinichi, who threatens a dramatic escalation in hostilities by use of nuclear submarine. Ambassador of the Nonmalt is top-tier Ultra 7, showcasing all the best aspects of the show converging at once. If you like avant-garde Ultra 7, you'll love this episode, beginning with the shot of Anne's head resting on top of a sandy beach. If you like to be teased about the nature of Anne and Dan's relationship, you'll get plenty of material here. In fact, they're virtually inseparable in this episode. Monster action? Check. Huge explosions? Check. Ultraman alumni cameo? Check. Masahara Nihei, the Science Patrol's Ide, appears as an ill-fated member of the underwater base. Incredibly weighty sub-theme about the nature of warfare and violence? Check. Episode 42 asks some pretty staggering questions for a kid's show. And a haunting note of the supernatural? Check. Like I said, Ambassador of the Nonmal has it all. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Mansky reporting.
when modern Navy scientists defy the unknown mysteries of the past, perpetuated by centuries of native belief, then nature strikes in all its vengeance in Barath, the unbelievable. For generations, the legend was passed on. They said Baran was there, deep in the still waters. They said, let Baran sleep. That lake water's going to be contaminated after we finish the tests. It'll probably affect the fish, too. We just can't take any chances. But those people have depended on their lake for their livelihood all their lives. And their parents before them. Anna, now should we be this concerned about a handful of people when we might perfect something that could benefit all mankind? Hmm? All right, Jim. commander would not heed their warning. He moved forward, ever searching, ever probing, deeper and deeper, until it was too late. Baran rose from the depths slowly, unrelentingly, to wreak its vengeance on a civilization that wanted to know too much. Tumultuous. Terrifying. it will shock you to the core. Buran, the unbelievable. Suddenly, a man dies at the controls of a train. Suddenly, a car swerves to destruction. Suddenly, a plane dives to death. Dies screaming. Suddenly, death descends on the four corners of the earth, and only a handful of human beings survive to live in fear, powerless to combat an unknown terror. Turn it off. Who are you? That away, I'm not the enemy. I don't know who the enemy is. Dies screaming, and the robots take over. Starring Willard Parker, Virginia Field, Dennis Price, You said that she was dead. She was. She was alive enough tonight, except her eyes. Well, what was the matter with them? She hasn't got any eyes. Here is paralyzing suspense as the Earth dies screaming. Electrifying terror as the Earth dies screaming. Jeff! Peggy! Peggy! The robots! What? Peggy! Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today we are looking at the Rally Award nominees for 1957 and 1958. 
And for this, I want to use FM to promote my pick for 1957's Monster of the Year, the Emir from Ray Harryhausen's 20 Million Miles to Earth. In 1966, in issues 37 and 38, Famous Monsters presented a detailed film book of this classic Monster on the Loose film. I want to share some of FM's descriptions of the key scenes to inspire you to vote for one of Ray's iconic creatures, which with his magical hands he graced with emotion and sympathy. First up, his birth. But the moon wasn't shining for her alone. Its beams slanted through the window of the mobile home and picked out the shiny form of the gelatinous blob on the doctor's workbench. The strange shape inside the mass had more definition now. It began to move, to shift, to struggle. Slowly, a crack formed in the slick surface. It grew longer, wider. Then, something burst through the shell. A tiny fist with three talon-like fingers. With a sigh, Marissa put down her surgical bag and began to shrug off her jacket. The peculiar, sibilant noise startled her. She whirled, and the sight of the thing on the workbench drained the blood from her face. She stifled a scream in her throat and stared. It was some 15 inches high, and the moonlight delineated its grotesque shape. Its incredibly long, lizard-like tail swished behind it. Its head was nightmarish like that of a medieval dragon's. It waved its three-talon hands helplessly in the air and hissed at her as if in fright. Marissa stood rooted to the spot, watching the creature's frightened eyes. It began to back away as if fearful of an attack. Her hand went out automatically and flicked the light switch. The creature jumped at the sudden burst of light in the room. Grandpa! This time, Dr. Leonardo responded to the urgency in her voice. He came out from behind the curtain, clutching his dressing gown. What is it, Marissa? He looked in the direction of her round-eyed gaze and saw the creature on the bench. It hissed towards him and backed up even further. For a long time, he did nothing but stare. Slowly, his hands raised towards it, and perspiration gleamed on the doctor's forehead. Be careful, Marissa said. The creature hunched its shoulders, its razor-sharp claws uplifted, but it didn't resist the old man's touch as the doctor's fingers closed around its scaly body. He lifted it up, and Marissa recoiled. What is it? Where did it come from? Pepper, the, the little fisher boy. I've never seen anything like this before. No scientific record of such a creature. Look at the torso. The torso is that of a human being. Articulation of the legs. Look at it. Look at it. But from where? He stopped when he saw the remnants of the gelatinous mass still on the workbench. He prodded it with his finger and realized at last its true significance. It was an egg. Next, the battle in the barn. The creature walked into the building, its walls hung with strange objects of hide and wood and metal. He moved further into the barn and found a sack of a powdery substance. He scooped some of it into his three-taloned hands and put it into his mouth. Contentedly, the creature dined on the yellow powder. But his meal wasn't to be peaceful. A yapping, snarling, glowering animal was standing menacingly in the doorway. It hesitated only a moment, then sprang to engage the creature in combat. It met the challenge with a roar of hatred. The dog's teeth tried to sink their way into the scaly throat of the thing from Venus. Its claws raked the tough hide viciously. 
but the sharp talons and unworldly strength of the creature soon took command. Broken and bleeding, the animal was torn from its grip and flung disdainfully in a corner of the building. Vittorio came into the barnyard just as the awful sounds of the death struggle were fading away. The sight of the awesome dragon's head above him froze his features in terror. They opened the door and cleared a path for the colonel to enter the barn. He held the pole lightly beneath his arm and walked slowly into the darkness. There was moonlight on the floor of the barn, and its beams cast an unearthly light on the scaly hide of the creature in hiding. It was making ugly, warning noises in its throat. Calder stopped in front of the beast and lifted the pole into the air. The creature snarled. Calder reached out and prodded him slightly. A three-talent hand slapped out, and the colonel retreated quickly. Then he shoved the pole forward again, and once more the creature flailed at it. He raised the pole again. The creature leaped. Calder backed away hastily, stumbled on some slippery substance on the floor of the barn. He recovered just in time to keep the pole between the infuriated thing from Venus and himself. It moved swiftly to the right and to the left, its claws raking out in an effort to grasp the tantalizing pole. The sounds in the creature's throat were awful to hear. It roared and grumbled and slashed out helplessly. But slowly the pole was pushing it back to the building where the wooden prison awaited the beast. Now, Calder shouted, Dr. Ull sprang forward to ready the gate to slam it shut before the creature could bolt away. But his ashen came a second too late. Look out, Calder cried. Vittorio, crazed with fright, threw himself toward the wall of the barn. His fingers closed around the handle of a pitchfork, and he waved it in defense. The creature came after him, and Calder cursed at the farmer's interference. Put that thing down, he barked. The distraction was all that the beast from Venus needed. With a swoop of its strong right arm, it swept the pole out of the colonel's hand and turned to flee. The old farmer, hate and loathing in his eyes, was raising the pitchfork high above his head, and with a shrill cry he drove it deep into the back of the creature. The creature emitted a yell of torment, a cry of the damned. He shook his scaly body until the piercing tines of the fork were loosened, and the implement thudded to the floor of the barn. Then his taloned hands reached out in rage and grasped Vittorio. Its powerful arms closed around the old farmer, and they rolled together to the ground. Calder raised the shovel over his head and beat at the scaly figure with all the strength in his arms. Nothing seemed to injure it, but the attack diverted the creature enough to cause him to release his death grip on the old man's throat. He snarled and whirled upon Calder. The colonel raised the shovel again, and the creature lashed out. Then the creature turned once more to the mutilated old man on the floor, and the commissario fired. The commissario swore loudly, He is the devil himself. Bullets have no effect. He cannot be killed. The creature left the old man and snarled defiantly at the men and their weapons. Calder had a gun in his hand now, too, and he fired point-blank at the scaly beast. Outside, he shouted, try and lock him in the barn. They reached the entrance and slammed the barn doors closed just as the creature was upon them. It's impossible, Dr. Ull said shakily. Bullets can't kill the thing. Bob, maybe nothing can. Hold the doors, the commissario shouted to the officers. The doors of the barn creaked and bulged with the creature's efforts to escape. Then, suddenly, there was no pressure. Around the side, Calder yelled. They went at a trot to the other side of the barn in the direction of a splintering sound. The hole torn in the rotted wood was big enough to permit the escape of a creature twice the size of the beast from the far-off planet of Venus.
and finally, the heart-rending end of the emir. But the creature was displaying a skill and tenacity they never knew it possessed. Despite the time-worn smoothness of the concrete, despite the height of the wall, it put out its claws and gripped the old stones. It clung desperately and began to move upwards. Before another bazooka missile could be launched, it had scaled the wall and was hoisting itself over. But this time, the escape route wasn't clear. Outside the amphitheater, a ring of weapons were waiting, the beast from Venus, ready to fire. There it is, Macintosh cried, as the ugly dragon's head appeared over the rim of the arena. Contino waved his arm frantically at the tank commander behind him. The tank turret began to revolve, aiming the long nose of the cannon towards the awesome head. The shell exploded out of the mouth, heading dead aim for the creature on the Colosseum wall. The creature was hit. It staggered backwards, scraped its talons on the stone to hold its position, and managed to prevent a fall. Inside the arena, Colonel Calder raised his bazooka once more. The shot caught the creature squarely. It screamed in anguish and in dreadful realization. Just as the tank outside fired its second shell, the ancient wall of the Colosseum crumbled under the bombardment and debris, and the creature tumbled into the arena. Calder looked at the dead beast, and the rigidity of his features suddenly disappeared. His mouth drooped in weariness and relief, and his shoulders slumped. Then he turned and walked to the entrance, not looking back. Dr. Uhl looked after him, not saying anything. Then he followed the others into the arena to gaze at the dead creature lying in the rubble of ancient stone. He looked at the beast, and his voice was sad. Why is it always, always so costly for man to move from the present to the future? Vote for Emir for 1957's Monster of the Year. He richly deserves the honor. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next time. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. Try talking a little bit. Hopefully, people can hear us. Can you hear us if you're in the chat? Give me a shout out. Yes. No. Maybe. Okay. Well, uh, hopefully, people can hear us. It looks like we're live. It looks like people can hear us. Uh, my, my volume knobs are bouncing back and forth, so hopefully, this works. Uh, the real Stanics first time chat says yes. Well, welcome. Awesome. First time chat. Uh, this is a special thing that we do every once in a while, or at least we've done in the past. I'd like to do this more often, to be completely honest. Uh, this is a live recording. Um, well, it will be a live recording when people hear this later on the podcast. This is a live event here um, at the Monster Kid Movie Club Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio, where traditionally, before I got sick, I was showing movies every Saturday and Tuesday. been trying to ramp it back up, but I don't think we're going to see things kind of return to a regular schedule until next month. But right now, you're watching... And you're listening to a special event. Um, hello to Morbius71. Hi, Derek. I can hear you, he says. Uh, 
Yeah, so my name is Derek M. Cook. I'm the writer, host, producer of, Dar- uh, of Derek M. Cook of Monster Kid Radio. Live, no edits. And, <laughs> and I'm joined by uh, a longtime contributor, longer time friend. Uh, there's a longer, longer, like, old joke in there, but I can't find it. There, yeah, there could be. It's, I used to be so young. It's Stephen D. <laughs> Sullivan. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well out here in the in re- very rainy and chilly Midwest. Yeah, it is uh, a little chilly here. No precipitation today. But I was talking to someone from Seattle the other day, and it sounded like we've switched weather where you guys are cold and maybe snowy. And here it is gray and rainy and has been for like a week. So we haven't had, like, there was a little bit of snow last week, but it wasn't enough to, like, stick. It wasn't, you know, sticking. Um, There's been rumors that there may be some snow in this area later this week. My fingers and tentacles are crossed that if it does happen, it's not that bad. I work from home these days, so it's not like I have to go out in it. But uh, I still don't like driving out in it, so when I do go outside. So, yeah, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Right. Um, we like a white Christmas out here, and we're we're really used to driving in this kind of, you know, in snow. Snow is in some ways easier to drive in than rain once you know what you're doing. But the just the driving rain, it seems to even more than snow and ice suck all the heat out of this part of the house. <laughs> I'm not sure why, but, uh, well, that's we okay. So we, we have keep heat you too long. We won't keep you too long. We don't need you getting too cold, man. We got, you know, we got to keep you warm and limber and riding and, and, and riding and riding and riding and riding and riding. And riding what yeah. are you riding these days, man? What am I writing these days? No, I'm, uh, I'm uh, finishing up a secret project with, uh, my old friend, Jeff D. I am, Waiting to hear back on the Nashi Werewolf novel from uh, Paul Nashi's son, which I'm hoping hoping to hear back from the around the end of the year. So maybe early next year we can get that out. And I've got uh, two Blue Tales of the Blue Kingdoms collections of my short stories that I thought were ready to come out, but I'm using a new publishing program with it, and the. Uh, an app in that program went crazy, and now I have to recheck the entire body of the, the copy. So yeah. uh, it's a little slower than I hoped it would be. Uh, if people want to follow you uh, writing-wise, it's stsullivan.com, correct? Yep. Yeah, that's the fastest way to get there. I'm going to try to do something live on the fly here. I wonder if this will work. Are people seeing you, or are they seeing me, or are they seeing both? both of us? Split screen. <laughs> oh, Awesome. Split screen. I'm going to move our pictures down a little bit because I just put your website address underneath your name, sdsullivan.com. Ooh, cool. There we go. I wonder, what what should I put under my name? So now it looks empty. i got to put something under my name here. Uh, You should put your um, your, uh, monster novels name under you, which Mark Temple. Mark Temple below you. What is the website address for that? Oh, yeah. It's tinyurl.com slash Mark Temple. (laughs) <laughs> there you go. <laughs> See, folks, I am not with it still. You know, after after being sick, um, starting. Hey man, you job, had COVID. There dude, is a, such a thing as COVID brain. Yeah, and I still deal with it uh, on the regular. Unfortunately, well, it takes a while. It takes a while to recover. Everyone that's had it uh, tells me that, and I'm hoping to keep my record of not getting it. Knock wood. Yeah, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. No. So. Pretty get vaccinated, folks. Get boosted. Pretty miserable. And a commercial. Right, so let's do this live too. Is this going to work? 
It did. All right. There we go. So, uh, Mr. Sullivan in the house. Uh, the Doff. Tom. Dr. Doffelstein. My man, Tom, who, uh, you know, I, I couldn't do what I do without him. He's he's the man that kind of babies and nurses this machine and the, keeps the machinery going. He's in the chat right now. Says he's used to Steve in the chat room, not on the screen. Um, there's a joke in there. Man, there's a joke about voice for radio, face for radio, right? Well, you know, it's uh, funny you should mention that because I would be normally chatting as I do this, but we discovered as we were setting this up that when I type on the keyboard, it looks like we're having an earthquake in my house. So, so I've decided I'm not even gonna, not even gonna attempt it. <laughs> not gonna try. So, and I'm also depending on Derek to translate any chat comments up to me because I can't, I can't see them. I could try to turn it on the television set, but then we're afraid it might turn into a, you know, a chronic hysteresis and you'd be seeing me there and there and there and, and you know, it all go to hell. So everything is, yeah. <laughs> this is the first time we've done this since COVID in months, uh, since the new machine, in fact, and some new software and updates and everything else. So, uh, we're even lucky that it's working. So, you know, I don't want to add another, I, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to look at the system weird. I don't want to minimize or maximize the wrong window. I don't even want to yeah. touch a USB cable. I, you know, it, just it doesn't matter that the working. TV's on an entirely different circuit. It's still running off my, my live streaming in the house and it's like working now and nope, not going to mess with it. Exactly. We're working. Here. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more with Steve about what he's got coming up and everything, you know, sdsullivan.com, of course, go check that out. When you're done watching this or listening to this, since this is going to be this week's podcast episode as well. Now, even though you're watching this now and you're hearing it, I'm not going to edit anything. If you listen to the podcast, you're going to get Mark Matzi's Beta Capsule Review, which is coming back. Uh, we had some technical issues with the tubes and the way the internet was working. His email wasn't coming through to me for whatever reason. I still blame a kaiju, probably Red King. Uh, Red and King we've got sure. Kenny's look at famous monsters of Filmland in the podcast as well. And that of course is at monsterkidradio.net. Subscribe in your favorite pod catcher or wherever it is you download podcasts. I don't know how any of that works anymore. I have four or five yeah, different sure. podcatchers I use these days. So I, I yeah. And anyway. sometime I listen to them on apps on, on the television now. Yeah. So. Yeah. So many different ways to listen to podcasts. So please check that out. Tom says, don't touch anything. I don't want to put pants on. Uh, I'm assuming that's in reference to if there's a problem, he would have to come out here to fix it. So there you go. No touchy. No touchy. <laughs> no. Hands off. All right. So the rally awards, the monster rally retro awards. It is something that we do on the podcast every year. And basically what we do is we look at, it's a five categories, actress, actor, director, movie, and monster and award retroactively our favorite in those categories. And we started with 1931, 1941, and 1951. It was actually Steve's bright idea to lump them together this way. That way we're tackling different decades every year, but still staying within you know various parameters. Because if we had done it just year by year by year, it would have made for a short show and we'd be doing it forever. <laughs> right. <laughs> we did not think too far ahead, though, or maybe we did and we just kind of forgot. I don't remember. COVID brain. 1937 and 1938 and 1947 and 48 were rough years. Um, when you look historically at the history of horror film, ebbs and flows, man. And post-World War II, 
It was Evan, man. It was Evan heavily. Slim pickings. You know, and audience tastes change, and, you know, the rating situation is changing as well. So we lumped 37 and 38, 47 and 48, into one show and did it earlier this year. It's in the archives at monsterkidradio.net. The intention was we would then later come back this year and do 5758. Now, 5758, lots of flow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, kind of a different situation. And Steve and I kind of went back and forth uh, a little bit regarding how we were going to do it. Um, We did lump them, you know, 3738, 4748 together. So that's what we're doing this time around. But we expanded the, the ballot. Uh, category to where instead of having up to six, we're having up, you know, eight nominees uh, per category. Plus, I went ahead and just made a judgment call: uh, ten category, you know, ten nominees for the best monster category because there are some great monsters. And Steve actually recommended I remove one or two uh, to shine it down to the eight because I asked him to. But I went and I did that, and it's like I don't feel good about pulling this one off because <laughs> it is cheesy. Yes, it is, but. I love I know, it. And we've taken so much time with this. We just didn't want to break it into two or three shows, right. which we could have probably done. Right. So the end result is that for all of you and us that are voting, it's much, much harder now than it has ever been before. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so I will make sure that at some point during our conversation, I'll put a link in the show notes or in the chat, excuse me. Put a link in the chat for people who are watching right now live if they want to go ahead and fill in, you know, their choices. Basically, the way it works is it's a Google form. You go in, you put one down for whatever category. You can only vote in one or once per, per category. And I do need to go in and I need to add the uh, other to where you can do a write-in if you want. We've had lots of write-ins over the years. Statistically, no write-in has ever won, but, you know. With all the choices you have for 5758, I don't know what you're going to want to write. <laughs> yeah. If you want to add more to that, you're insane. Uh, a couple of caveats uh, just to kind of lay down how we're doing things. If the movie was released uh, in multiple parts of the world, including the U.S., we're using the U.S. title. Um, that'll come up with The Crawling Eye, for example. Um, if the movie, like some movies in Japan, some kaiju films, were released in Japan under one title and then re-released in the U.S. with significant changes like Gojira versus Godzilla King of the Monsters or even Gamera. Um, or Varen. Or Varen. I may make the decision, because it's my show, <laughs> that it qualifies for both years. So we have had Gojira and Godzilla King of the Monsters nominated. I bring it up because you can probably guess one of these situation is going to happen. <laughs> uh, we have a movie that came out in 1957 in Japan that got re-released in the U.S. with significant changes in the 60s. So, you know, in that case, just keep in mind that the nominee is for the Japanese release versus whatever. Does that make sense? Did I overly complicate it? No, I think it's straightforward. Ask, ask the uh, ask the chat, see what they say. Yeah, I mean, if, if the chat has any questions along the way or any comments along the way, I'd love to see them. I'll read them out here and Steve and I can address them. So, uh, and listeners to the podcast who are listening to this after the fact, this is the fun you're missing out on the live chat, the interaction, the back and forth and the flubs. Um, but I, <laughs> I you know question. what? I'm leaving the flubs in this is going straight through. I have a question. I, my question is, it's entirely personal is the Stanex that's in the chat room. Is that actually Stan Brown, the cartoonist and writer? It says, I know. I don't know. Um, I don't, it's the real 
Oh, he says that's me. Thought it might be. Awesome. Hey, man. I haven't seen you for three or four days. <laughs> How cool is that? All right. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So let's uh, let's let's dig into our first category. All right. Cool. So I have the list around here somewhere, but you have it as well. And I think I'm not sure why we did it this way. Best movie. We're just firing. Boom. Let's did it. <laughs> hey, man, it's your call. All right. So, so here we go. Best movie. Because best monster is always last. Yeah, you got to do best monster. That's last, the most so. important thing. You, yeah, usually we'd start with the actors, but whatever. Whatever. I don't know why it's this way, it but it is, is what it we're is. We're getting it done, and we're getting it done before the end of this year. There we go. And that's all that's right. At least this part. <laughs> so, best movie. Do you want to read and me talk or the other way around? I'll hit the first four, and then you pick up the rest. Okay. Right, sounds so. good. Right, you know what? I'm going to let you take the first four because I know the first movie is a movie that you really like. I, and the first movie is The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, which is one of my top five all-time movies. Ray Harryhausen's story of of uh, the Arabian Nights with Sinbad and a Cyclops and a dragon and more cool stuff than you could possibly ask for. Then we've got The Blob, another great, great film with a very funny and catchy title song by, oh, come on, Burke Bacharach, maybe? Someone really famous and spacing out, so maybe Derek knows, maybe someone in the chat knows and can check us on that. Starring Steve McQueen as a very old teenager, but who cares? It's brilliant, and we all love The Blob. The it Blob is, is, is It is Burt The Bob is a great, great film. Then we have you guys, who are you going to vote for? We've got The Curse of Frankenstein, the, the first of the Hammer Frankenstein films with Peter Cushing as uh, Dr. Frankenstein and Christopher Lee himself as the monster. Do we need to say a lot more about that? No, it started Hammer down the road for the next so, dozen so, years, man. Not not the first uh, Hammer film, but it's really what had them stake their territory with the, with the gothic horror and... Oh, wow. So good. And I'm excited that we now get to start adding a bunch of Hammer stuff to the proceedings here. Right. Yeah. And next up, we've got another one because we've combined years. We've got the uh, the combined years. We also have the horror of Dracula, known in England as Dracula, starring the one and only Christopher Lee as the Count, which he played, what, eight, ten times, something like that. And this is the first one. And Peter Cushing is Van Helsing. Right. Oh, <laughs> Have we died and gone to monster heaven or what? It's amazing. So it's good. a great film and even has Michael Goff in it. It's, it's these two films, Christopher Frankenstein and Horror of Dracula, they point the arrow in which Hammer Horror would go for the next until the end of Hammer Horror in the 70s. It's they're amazing films, and how can you choose between those two? Never mind that they're competing against Sinbad and the Blob so far, but there's four more on this list that Derek's going to bring up, too. Exactly. So before I do that, uh, the real Stanex says, Hi, Sully. Nice to meet you, Derek. Nice to meet you, sir. And staked their territory, as it were. And yes, I did do that on purpose. <laughs> All right. I meant to pick up that thing, and then I forgot. <laughs> uh, the remaining four nominees for Best Movie. It, the terror from beyond space. Yeah, some people might say the alien looks a little silly. The the, helm, the mask didn't really fit, but I personally really love this movie. And if you watch this and then watch Alien and don't see a lot of similarities, I don't know what movies you're watching. <laughs> yeah, clearly you're not. Really being, stuff. 
close attention if you don't see the relationship between it, the terror from beyond space and alien. And I love that monster suit. I think it probably would have been better if uh, Ray Crash Corrigan's chin had actually fit and didn't end up having to be the tongue tongue of the monster sticking out. But still, it's well lit, and you can't really tell that they, you know, they had to goof with the suit to make it fit. Right. It's right. it's an iconic movie, and uh, you're going to see people do stuff inside a spaceship that you should never do in a spaceship in that film. Good point. Uh, also, for best movie, this is actually a personal favorite of mine. It's Lovecraftian in the best of ways. Uh, it's got an incredible monster. It's the Monolith Monsters. If you haven't seen the Monolith Monsters, it's universal, so you know it's quality, right? It's got that production value. It's got some great direction. The monsters are unlike anything Universal was doing at the time. It is so good. And unlike anything anyone was doing at the time, I re still remember the first time that I saw this film on horror classics on WCVB in Boston, probably at midnight or one o'clock in the morning uh, out in Boston. And it was like, wait, the monster is what? But it's so well done and it's so well acted. It's it's a, a universal classic, and it's so different from whatever you might expect. That obviously Derek and I are trying not to spoil it. Good point. Good point. <laughs> but, but but it's cool. You can. And, I mean, the poster will spoil it, but <laughs> what the heck? And it's going to come up again tonight. So uh, let's see. We also have a movie that's very special to me. I have a personal connection to this movie because of you, Steve, it's the screaming skull. Yeah. This is one that you and I both like. Uh, the one time you were out here in the Portland area visiting a few years ago, the joy cinema was showing it for weird Wednesday. And I got to show off for my friend a little bit and introduce the movie. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, but screaming skull is really good as well. An underrated film. Uh, and something that I'd love to see adapted as a serious stage play. Oh, it totally could be a stage play. And it's, mm -hmm. it's really good. It can be a great comic book too. It's, it's, it, touches a lot of familiar ground, but it doesn't scooby out on it. So it's, you know, to, to coin a phrase, <laughs> not to spoil the spoilers, but, uh, it, it has uh, real supernatural stuff in it. And I always like that in a movie. And then finally, the thing that couldn't die, which is actually something I think you recommended we put on the list. Yeah. It's, uh, not to be confused with the brain that wouldn't die. It is the, again, another one of these things that I saw first on late night on WCVB classic horrors in Boston. I think it is about the, the people that, uh, the psychic girl that finds a, a severed head buried under, <laughs> under a tree ish kind of place in the, uh, Western ranch. And the naturally the severed head is not quite dead. And, uh, Makes a lot of trouble. It's a lot of fun. It's it's a, a risky movie for Universal. You know, right? You don't expect that to come, to come from Universal. You expect that from Hammer, but it's Universal. So what? But you know, it, it works and it's it's a good film. I I enjoy it a lot. So those are our best movie nominees. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, uh, almost any one of those could likely have won any other year and certainly any one of them would have won <laughs> on the last set of shows we'd done had they been eligible because all of them are pretty much better than almost anything you could scrape up from yep. from 47 48 37 38 uh just off the top of my head i'm sure someone will say hey you're wrong there's we've forgotten now so long ago yeah so next up we got 
best director. Do you want to tackle that first or you want yeah, me to tackle I'll, I'll dive into it first. And, and I want to mention here in this case, and this is something we started doing. Uh, I don't remember if it was this year, earlier this year, or previous years. But we're starting to run into a situation where an actor may appear in more than one movie or a director may have directed more than one movie that you know was eligible for the year. So in this particular case, when I tell you Jack Arnold is our first nominee, he directed three monster movies that year for his eligibility. Uh, so The Incredible Shrinking Man, the best of the three that I'm about to mention, The Space Children, and Monster on the Campus. Uh, Jack Arnold I'm a huge fan of anyway, and not just because he directed Creature from the Black Lagoon, but uh, he was somebody who has a definite style and flair, and you can you know when you're watching a Jack Arnold movie. And not just because of the many science lessons he puts into every one of his movies. Um, <laughs> he's just really good. So and It's really high-quality work. And The Incredible Shrinking Man is a, a film that when my wife Kiff saw it, it just blew her away. She just couldn't believe, especially the ending of it, which we won't spoil, but the whole through the whole thing, she was just fascinated with what they were doing. And at the end, she was like, wait, what? Exactly. And she loves, so she loves that film. And, you know, she's a sci-fi kid more than a monster kid. And that's kind of a, a little bit of a crossover there for her. Yeah, so yeah. Agreed. Uh, the second nominee is Robert Clark. Now, um, no spoiler. He doesn't appear anywhere else in the nominees, even though he was the lead actor of the hideous sun demon as well. I think that he is Sundeman looks cool, but its strength, I think, comes from the fact that he directed this movie through all sorts of challenges and lack of finances. And I don't know if it's fair to say this was a passion project for him because I don't know, but he worked real hard to make this movie as effective as it is. So Robert Clark is on the list for best director for the hideous Sundeman. And I know a lot of people put this movie on their kind of bad movies list, but I really like it. It's, you know, it's kind of a reverse werewolf film and it's really well done. And the monster, the monster is really cool looking. So I don't, I don't know what people, what, what more do you people want? <laughs> Watch it. If you haven't, it's fun. Maybe it's going to get some of your votes. Now the, the next two nominees are from the hammer camp. We've got Terrence Fisher for the curse of Frankenstein horror of Dracula. And one of my favorite sequels of all time, the revenge of Frankenstein. And then we got Val Guest, who did Quatermass 2, or actually, as I said earlier, we'll use the American release, Enemy from Space, and then the Embalmable Snowman as well. Uh, Terrence Fisher and Val Guest are both Hammer mainstays. Fisher probably a bit more so uh, as a director. Uh, Fisher... In past years, he would have been competing against himself three times here and probably knocked three other directors off. Exactly. (laughs) So, So... yeah, that's you can vote uh, for him once. Uh, Terrence Val Guest. And Val Guest, who his directing style is very different than Fisher's, but I really like Val Guest's hammer output as well. He did some incredible work uh, as well. So I'm, I'm happy to see him be nominated. And I'm curious to see how it's going to turn out with the votes. But that's just four of them. We got four other nominees as well. Right. Yeah. And uh, just to recap, Quatermass 2 is, is a fabulous film. It's really, really good. Uh, Brian Don Levy back as Quatermass. Uh, based on the serial for the BBC. It's fabulous. And the abominable snowman is um, written by, I think Nigel Neal or based on a story by Nigel Neal. I think Nigel Neal who created Quatermass. And I'm pretty sure now Derek's going to try to look it up while I, 
I keep babbling, that he also worked on the Abominable Snowman, but I may be wrong about so, that. So I'm going to move ahead with the next four. No, he wrote it. <laughs> the next he wrote one it. up. You're right. He wrote it. My brain, it's weird. My brain knows these things, and sometimes I say them without, <laughs> with, and then think, oh, wait, am I remembering that right? Uh, trust the brain, Steve. Trust the brain. So the next, uh, the next in our list is uh, Ishiro Honda, the great Ishiro Honda for the Mysterians, the H-Man, and Varan, uh, known in the U.S. as Varan the Unbelievable four years later, or thereabouts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the, the great Japanese monster movie director. Uh, what more can we say about him? Godzilla. One more. <laughs> Uh, then we're back to Nathan Duran for the seventh voyage of Sinbad. And Nathan uh, did a lot of directing over his, his career. And I think he's, if I remember right, he is somehow related to one of the people that regularly appears in our chat room. He's like a great uncle or something to one of our, mm-hmm. one of mm-hmm. our regular viewers, listeners. That's true. That's true. Uh, the seventh voyage of Sinbad is, well, it's a Ray Harryhausen masterpiece. So uh, it's end and good. Then we've got Kurt Newman for The Fly. And this is not the Jeff Goldberg version of The Fly. This is the original David Hedison, Vincent Price version of The Fly, which is a film that scared the willies out of me when I was a kid. We were at my aunt's house staying over late one night, and my cousin or somebody who had this on in the living room, my brother and I, snuck downstairs to see what they were watching. And at that point, there was a big reveal that I won't spoil. And we went screaming back upstairs <laughs> because it's horrifying. Great film, a great monster, great scares. Finally, we have John Sherwood, the, the dark horse again here for the amazing monolith monsters, which Derek and I both love. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, I rate films from uh, one to five stars on my site. And if it's three stars or above, it's good. Three stars is kind of the, I like this, I'll watch it again rating. Two stars is like, eh, you might like this, you might not. Four stars are films that I really, really like. And Monolith Monsters is definitely a four-star film. Uh, I want to pipe in here real quick, and this is on me because I'm the one that put the ballot together. Nathan Duran directed a lot in 57, 58. Uh, so not only was he responsible for the seventh voyage of Sinbad, but 20 million miles to earth, the deadly mantis attack of the 50 foot woman and the brain from the brain from planet Eros. So Boy, if you could get all that onto the, onto the ballot, that'd be great. I'm, I'm working I was on looking, it right I now. Thinking, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, didn't Joran do more than just that in that time period? I thought he had, but there you go. I mean, Wow. What a what a list! That's a that's a career for anybody else, and for him, it was just two years. <laughs> so, since Derek is still working on this, I'm going to charge ahead into the best actress category. Let's do it, and hopefully, he will uh, he will pipe up and and join us for uh, best actress. And we're going to start with Norma Eberhard for the Return of Dracula. And I didn't look this up beforehand, so I'm going off my brain again. And I'm going to assume that she is the heroine in Return of Dracula, which is uh, an underrated, low-budget horror film that's really... If it weren't for Christopher Lee, it might 
be the best Dracula film in the fifties. I think that's a that's a a pretty that might be a pretty safe bet. Now, if someone out there in Chatland has a has a oh my god, how could you forget? And can name some film that's not Brides of Dracula. <laughs> Doesn't have Christopher Lee in it. It's Brides of Dracula six years in the fifties. I don't remember. Sixty, I think. Friend and and well, we're gonna. I don't know if we, I left him on the ballot or not, to be honest. But yeah, it's a great Dracula, and uh, I love the Return of Dracula for a number of different reasons. Norma Eberhardt's one of them. She's just right, and it's it's kind of a, um, uh, a oh, what's a my brain just gave out on me and gave me the wrong Hitchcock film. There is a Hitchcock film where uncle Charlie comes to visit and he's a murderer. And this is like that film with, with Dracula in it. It's not strangers on a train. What is the name of the, oh, I can't remember. I don't, I'm drawing a blank, man. Yeah, I know it. And I know it dead. And it's not just not there right now. Let's move on for our second best actress. We have the great Beverly Garland. And she must have only been uh, in not of, of this earth this year because usually we'd be able to put her up for a couple of things. And I will double check. And she's fabulous. And I don't remember exactly what year she was in, what Corman films, but she's one of the characters in It Conquered the World. Uh, and she's a fabulous, fabulous actress. And, and I'm going to be saying that a lot, I guess, because these are the best actresses and we have combined them from two years that were rich, rich with monster content and uh, speaking of also in corbin films occasionally we have the next allison hayes as the title character in the attack of the 50-foot woman which is a a minor classic despite some very uh what our friend terry frost from australia would call ropey special effects so we uh, wrong. Uh, there are some moments in the movie that the special effects don't live up to the concept, but that's okay. But, the movie's got so much else going for it. It's, it's all right. Yeah, it's a blast. It's a it's a lot of lot of fun. Uh, after that, we have Laurie Mitchell from the Queen of Outer Space, which is the the film that has Jaja Gabor in it, I believe. And we're not nominating Jaja for this one. Nominating <laughs> Laurie, who. Uh, you're going to tell me, Derek, is she the queen or is she the lead woman? Because I'm drawing a blank on um, whether she is um, the hidden behind the mask or the pretty blonde. I'll, I'll double check, but I do want to catch up on the chat real quick. Some things just popped up all at once. Ooh. Yes, the real Stanix, you have to pick just one. Uh, and also, he says, uh, Shadow of the Doubt is the Hitchcock movie you're thinking about. Thank you, Sam. It's That's Joseph exactly. Cotton as Uncle Charlie. Right. Uh, Morbius says that Norma Eberhart was a guest at Monster Bash in 2011. That's cool. Oh, and wow. Durham Steve, coincidentally, I'm currently watching a 1966 episode of Mission Impossible on Pluto, and Francis Letterer is the guest star. Very cool. Super, super cool. Very what, what cool. What did you ask me a second ago? I asked whether I wanted to make sure Lori Mitchell was the title character or if she's the sympathetic blonde wearing Anne Francis's leftovers from Forbidden Planet in Queen of Outer Space. Uh, Lori Mitchell plays uh, Queen Yolanda. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yep. That's what I thought. So for those of you that don't know, it's like, what is Steve talking about? If you watch Queen of Outer Space, it was um, it was done after Forbidden Planet, and uh, they decided they would use a lot, and I mean like all, 
of the costumes from Forbidden Planet. So they didn't have to make their own, you know? I mean, that's the way it works. Yeah. Back in the days. You had the costumes, you had the set left over. God knows that Hammer shot plenty of castles using the one castle they really had. So this was something that happened. So uh, with Laurie Mitchell as the queen of outer space, I'm going to hand over the rest of the best actresses to Derek. Kim Parker from Fiend Without a Face. Uh, She is the, the female lead. In that one, uh, Fiend Without a Face, fantastic film, wonderful movie. All the moving parts of that movie are, are incredible. And Kim Parker's one of them, and she just stands out uh, in that movie. She, of course, is on the movie poster as well. And just, she's fantastic. So, Kim yeah, Parker. Yeah, she is, and that's a great film. And it, it's another one of those films that people people say this is a bad movie, but they're not really paying attention. I don't know those people. Because if it were a bad movie, <laughs> If it were a bad movie, would it have a Criterion Collection release and be unavailable any other way? The answer is no. Criterion doesn't release bad movies. Uh, let's see. Chat from Morbius 71. Laurie Mitchell was a guest at Monster Bash in 2014. Very cool. All, uh, the, all these people that have been way more Monster Bashes than you and me, Derek, and I'm so jealous. Uh, you know, I do want to get back to it someday. Yeah, someday this say. pandemic will end. And I well, will be financially for me, it's a thing. But you know uh, what? Well, that's a whole... One of the both, man. <laughs> uh, next on the list, Randy have. Stewart from The Incredible Shrinking Man. She has such a heartbreaking arc in that film um, because of the things that are happening to her husband and then how she copes with it and the things that she's dealing with around her as she's coping with it. It's just she's got a lot on her shoulders in that movie, and she performs so well. So yeah, and they've got a really – she and Grant Williams have a really wonderful relationship as a couple at the beginning of the film, and you really kind of get to like them as a couple before suddenly weird radioactivity turns him into the title character, the Incredible Shrinking Man, and suddenly uh, Richard Matheson is giving us all sorts of <laughs> – all sorts of undercurrents of male-female relationships and yeah. sexuality and, and other kind of things that people deal with in relationships and doing it in such a way that I don't think the censors in the 50s ever even noticed. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Clever band, that Matheson. We love him. Also, we have Allison Hayes' guest, our, our, our co-star, I guess, from Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, the amazing Yvette Vickers who uh, is also incredible in this. It's hard for me when I'm putting the ballot together to pick different people from the same film because I worry sometimes it's going to cancel each other out. But Yvette Vickers right. plays such a different character than Alison Hayes in Attack of the 54 Woman. She had to she had to be represented on here. Yeah, and she, she's the homewrecker in the, in the story. And, and yet, at the same time, you kind of sympathize with her, too. It's She's not a character that you're you're out and out going to hate in the film. And that's a, a lot of that is because of the talent of Yvette Vickers and her playing the character. <laughs> P.S. Lori Mitchell was also at Monster Bash in 2007. <laughs> <laughs> in a nice way. <laughs> uh, that's cool. I appreciate that. And then finally, Peggy Weber from The Screaming Skull, who really has to carry that movie. And... Just so good. Um, and she her, does. And she, her descent into whatever it is she's dealing with is just phenomenal. 
yeah, her battling uh, battling mental illness coming into the into the movie and then through the movie and what is it real is it not real what's going on with her she's she's terrific i somewhere maybe it was on a it couldn't have been on the disc somewhere. I saw recently her talking about working on the, on the movie and, and the challenges that it was. And she was really interesting, uh, in her talk about, about what was going on in the sh- screaming skull and, and the, them saying, Hey, you know, no one will ever see this underwear scene after this one, <laughs> after this year. And like, well, yeah, no, <laughs> welcome to the DVD era. Everyone's going to see you in your underwear forever. <laughs> Anyway, she's great, and it's a, a film, a low-budget film that Derek and I both love. So speaking oh, of being seen in your underwear, Steve, what have you been up to? I'm just, no, I'm just, um, <laughs> let, let's, let's dive into, let's go ahead and dive into Best Actor, then I want to take a short break before we get into the monsters. Um, and I want to start because it's my man. <laughs> Top of the list, the Dead Elvi, some of the greatest poets of our age, of any age. To tell you that this man rules. Agar rules. <laughs> John Agar rules. It's John Agar, the daughter of Dr. Jekyll, the brain from Planet Eros, an attack of the puppet people. Uh, John Agar is the man. I uh, was able to show Revenge of the Creature to my fiance Beth, a little bit ago, and I, I don't know what her thoughts of where Agar, of Agar were. I don't know where she comes down on that. She had a good time watching the movie. But uh, yeah, you know John Agar, he's he's the man. That's the yeah, he's he's a great leading man for for all these films, and a, a great maniac and brain from Planet Horus, and certainly worthy of being on this list. You know, if we did a Hall of Fame, he'd be on there. And heck, when I first launched Monster Kid Radio, I had that slogan, you know, where Karloff is king and Legosi still lives, and John Agar rules. You know, I mean, he was one of the patron saints of the podcast. So yep, for sure. Uh, next on the list here on the ballot is Dana Andrews. I listed it as both Curse of the Demon and Night of the Demon because, honestly, I get the titles mixed up. Me too. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember which one was the American release. Uh, which is the American one? Which is the British? I can't remember. The bottom line is they both were released on both sides of the ocean within the eligibility period for this ballot. So whatever you want to call it, Dana Andrews is there in I, I prefer the British release. I know. I think Steve. I do too. It. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. I like the longer version. The longer version yeah. is better. Uh, and we always have to remember, Dana Andrews says Bruins gave us the runes. And that's this film from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. Yeah. You knew that, right? <laughs> you know what? Hot, you know, I did this on last week's episode of the podcast. Hot take here, maybe. I don't like Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh. I think it's overrated, so I don't really. Yeah, I don't. The references well, sometimes wrong about that, but that's right okay. over my head. Dana, and whether you like Rocky Horror or not, Dana Andrews is awesome in this, you know. And there are a lot of legends about, you know, he had a drinking problem. There are a lot of legends about that, but it doesn't matter because he is great in this film. Yeah. Really, really great. Top flight. Next I can't up. imagine it being done better. Yeah, true. Uh, next up, Whit Bissell playing an incredible mad scientist. And I was a teen. Hold on a second. Yes. Hold on a moment. One of my uh, home devices started talking at me, and I was afraid it was going to start playing some music that I didn't want to have go out on the stream. Uh, anyway, we're on one side. Whit Bissell. 
I was a teenage werewolf. I was a teenage Frankenstein. Back-to-back performances, playing mad scientists. I don't know if it was a wise career's choice to do that, but, I mean, who am I to say now? Rick Pitzel said so much after the fact. Anyway, anyway, he's great, and he was also a monster on the campus. I, I don't think it about, hurt him. You know, and he's, he's such a fiend, and I was a teenage werewolf. It's just oh God. one of the fuzziest mad scientists of all time, I think. I'm I'm supposed to be helping this boy, but I really want to see what it's like if he turns into a werewolf. Nice yeah. guy. Super, yeah. Um, At least in Teenage Frankenstein, he's a little bit more straightforward about being a, a villain. But he's fantastic, and I love him and everything I've seen him in. Uh, and then uh, the fourth name on the list, Peter Cushing. You know. Who's that? What can you say? Peter Cushing and his amazing cheekbones in The Abominable Snowman, The Curse of Frankenstein, Horror of Dracula, and The Revenge of Frankenstein during the eligibility period here. And Four amazing again, Hammer films. And there's a reason why Hammer kept going back to Cushing, because he was the man. Right. Yeah, no, he was Hammer in, in a lot of ways. Even as as much as Christopher Lee was, the two of those guys, they, they were Hammer. And just... Again, this is one of those categories where, in past years, we might have had four nominations for Peter Cushing to fight against himself, right, right. and then one other person would have snuck in, right? So it's a, an amazing run. Uh, some of my favorite Cushing uh, characterizations of all. Uh, great, great work, as usual. And speaking of great work, as usual, we have the king, Boris Karloff who was in Voodoo Island, Frankenstein, 1970, and Corridors of Blood, a really interesting mix of films right. with a wide range of roles for Boris, from a, a, a kindly land developer to a, a mad scientist to uh, a Jekyll and Hyde type, which was played with very little makeup and a lot of acting on Boris's part in Corridors of Blood. That's my memory of it. What do you think, Derek? Oh, I, I, I agree. And it's one of the reasons why I wanted to make sure he was on the ballot because, and this is no disrespect, but three of the four films that Cushing did were all the gothic horror films, right? Running right. around basically the same sets, right? Right. Karloff is doing these three different movies that have totally different vibes. It just shows off his versatility and uh, his ability to just really create some amazing characters in very short periods of time. I really love Frankenstein 1970. I know it's not one of your favorites, but I think you and I can both agree that Karloff is pretty fantastic in it. Yeah, Karloff's great. It's That's one of those movies where I see the the things it could have done rather than the things it did, sure. so I have trouble, try, trouble enjoying it. Um, but Karloff is great. Karloff is always great. Uh, you, never see, you never see a bad Cushing performance and you never see a bad Karloff performance and another guy you'd never see a bad performance from is our next nominee Christopher Lee the great Sir Christopher for Curse of Frankenstein Horror of Dracula and Corridors of Blood which I don't even remember what he plays in off the top of my head oh wait is he a grave robber maybe yeah but the difference between the Curse of Frankenstein the an iconic portrayal of the monster and Dracula. When you say Dracula, if you don't think of Bela Lugosi, chances are you think of Christopher Lee. And there's a, there's a really good reason for that. 
it's a, an amazing piece of work, even in the, the film after the one nominated here, where he doesn't say anything. He literally doesn't speak. And yet that is one of my favorite Dracula films of all time, Dracula, Prince of Darkness. But here it's Horror of Dracula. So uh, Lee and Cushing and Karloff, <laughs> you all get in the corner and fight it out. And probably Christopher Lee is going to win because he was here to special services in World War II. But that aside, great battles. You don't we think Forrest Tucker is We Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know what Forrest Tucker, did he have a service record? Or did he? was he only the sergeant in F Troop, which is what I will always remember him from. But Forrest Tucker, not someone you think of as a horror star, but he did three films in this, just in this period. The Abominable Snowman, which, again, has a, a great cast and a great director and a, a great screenwriter. We have The Strange World of Planet X, which is, is a giant, a weird giant bug movie. And then we have one of my personal favorites, The Crawling Eye, otherwise known as the Trollenberg Terror, which is the story about these strange creatures from outer space that live in the tops of mountains and pull people's heads off. And sadly, I have a stuffed crawling eye that I got from Dominique Lamsey's, which has tiny little soldiers in its, in its tentacles, and some of them are missing their little heads. Sadly, it's in the other room, and I can't just reach back and grab it. I'd forgotten we were going to do this bit. So... Uh, that's a great film. I don't, I don't know what you think about The Crawling Eye, Derek. Oh, I love it. Uh, I, I've been paying a lot of close attention to it lately for a project that is long overdue out of my uh, various things that I have going. So it, it's it's a fantastic film. Um, it's got some zombie stuff in it even. I mean, there's some really interesting things in it. And uh, honestly, it feels... I know it was a British BBC uh teleplay serial and i believe that that it is a lost serial i don't think there's anything that remains from it i could be wrong and if i am wrong someone find it and tell me where to get it um but it really feels a lot like a nigel neal story it feels like a quatermass story in some ways or a uh, a later it would be very much like a doctor who story from the John Pertwee era or something like that. It's It's got a lot of the stuff that classic British science fiction has, and I really I love it a lot. Finally, in, in the best actor category, we have the great Grant Williams, the title character in The Incredible Shrinking Man, and not the title character in The Monolith Monsters. Uh, he's great in both those roles uh, as he's kind of a... a I, a doctor character, but I, I don't think he's actually a PhD doctor in the Monolith Monsters, but he's got a scientist character in the one, and then he's the shrinking man in the other, and, and that requires him to do a lot of interesting acting, physical acting, and acting against special effects, and he's great. It's an amazing performance. I, I agree 100%. Yeah. Of course I do. I put the ballot together, but uh, he's really good. <laughs> I uh, want to comment, uh, catch up on the chat a little bit. Uh, Morbius71, some, sorry for commenting again, but I met Agar at the famous Monster Convention in 1993. Pretty cool. Uh, I've heard that he was just a heck of a nice guy and loved talking to his fans. Um, when I went to a uh, Crypticon Seattle, was it Crypticon? It might have been Horrorhound. Uh, either way, Daniel Roebuck was there. 
And somehow or other, we ended up talking about Agar. And he talked about how John Agar was just super nice and sweet to him as well. I've never heard anybody say anything negative about a fan interaction or experience with Agar. So that's so cool. Uh, and he worked really hard. He right, did. Right through the end of his life. He did. God bless uh, Digital Dak is in the chat. Hi, Dig. Hey. What's up, man? So I want to get into best monster, and I just realized there's actually 11 monsters on the ballot, not 10. I never cut one off, so I'm just going to let it ride. But before we do that, <laughs> there's a couple things that I want to just kind of mention uh, and let people know that I am on a spree of just blowing out magazines right now on my eBay listings. So if you are looking to add some Scary Monsters magazines, uh, some Little Shop of Horrors magazines, Monster Bash magazines, uh, and, and some older stuff too. I got some film facts. I have one issue of Video Watchdog, uh, as well as uh, some like Monsters from the Movies and some other things as well. I'm blowing them out, man. So you can head over to, uh, I think it's tinyurl.com slash eBay. I'll put a link in the chat right now, but of course, if you're a listener of the podcast, you can always see that in the uh, the show notes as well. But yeah, I'm blowing things out there. So if you are interested in helping me clear out some space, I would really appreciate it, and it helps me out a little bit as well. Uh, also, I want to mention that we are in the time of year, you know, actually before I do that, I cannot guarantee that anything that you win from an auction from me right now will get to your place by Christmas just because of how the shipping works and how eBay works. However, if you order anything on Amazon right now with the intention of getting something to you by Christmas, please consider using the Monster Kid Radio affiliate link. This is the time of year when people are buying a lot of stuff for their loved ones. If you use the Amazon affiliate link that I have set up for Monster Kid Radio, it doesn't cost you anything extra. But what it does is it shaves like a nickel or two. Okay, maybe that's being generous. A penny or two off the top of anything that you buy on Amazon and sends it to me. Now, it's not enough to really kind of do much, but it does help pay for things like keeping the podcast going. There are certain hosting fees, for example, like 40-something dollars a month. Everything that you do through Amazon, if you use that link, you're going to help me out. And like I said, it doesn't cost you anything extra. That takes some money out of Bezos' pockets. So. Right. What's he going to do? Fly to outer space again? I mean, come on. Win-win. Right. <laughs> you can find the Amazon affiliate link over at monsterkidradio.net. If you scroll through any show note for any episode, you'll see the Frankenstein monster silhouette with the Amazon A in the middle of it. That's the button you click. I put the link in the show notes or the chat right now. But it looks like a lot of alphabet soup, and I don't even know if it would work. But I'll put, I'll, I'll try it. But you know, either way, please consider consider supporting Monster Kid Radio that way. And if you do this, click on that link, then look up Stephen D. Sullivan and buy a bunch of his books. If you had to recommend one or two of your books for this holiday season, what would they be, man? That'd be awesome. I would recommend uh, Doctor Cushing's Chamber of Horrors. Always, and for people like who like giant monsters, Daikaiju Attack. There you go. And since we're talking about Amazon and we're talking about bargains right now, I do want to mention that the Monster Shark on a Nude Beach is a serial that I'm running. New chapters every two weeks on Amazon. They have they give you you buy them with tokens, but they give you 200 tokens free. And last I knew, they were giving you for the holidays an extra 200 tokens free. I can't guarantee that. 
because who knows when you'll be seeing this and whether it's actually still happening. But that's a, a great thing that you can do. And that that sends money fairly directly to me. And I've been getting more money from that recently than I have from uh, some of the other sales, which is, I wish I were rolling in it. It's not like huge amounts of money, but pennies here, pennies there. It, like Derek said, it, it all helps. So yeah, use his, use his link, buy my books. And if you get a chance, check out the Monster Shark too. So sdfast.com is where you're going to want to go to keep up with everything Steve's got going on. I'm assuming there's a list of his books. Uh, his bibliography is there as well. So check it all out. I mean, he's a monster. There he's is. one of us. He writes for people like us. I, I don't know if he sits down and, and says to himself, I wonder what Derek would like to read this time around. But he, he, do. he does do it. So. <laughs> and and uh, directly on Monster Shark, you can see that on my site on buffbeach.com. That's buff as in a play on Muscle Beach and also buff as in having, having no clothes on because it's a nude beach thing. So, so we so. went from being in your underwear to being nude. So uh, let's yep. talk about getting dress back up because I want to let people know I've got uh, a new shirt that I'm going to be selling. It's the weirdest there transition, but I'm what a great transition that is Derek. Yeah, I love that. Right? Yeah, so you can kind of see it right now on me. So uh, if you are familiar with the Crestwood house books, uh, these are the books that were released to various uh, school libraries, children's libraries. Uh, well, the sixties and seventies, that sound about right. Seventies uh, and eighties, I believe. Okay. And they, they promote the, the classic monsters. And a lot of the photography, the photographs that appeared in these books came from like Forrest J. Ackerman and that sort of thing. Unfortunately, some material that came from Ackerman also appeared in these books because they further perpetuated the lie that there were two versions of Godzilla versus King Kong. Uh, <laughs> and that uh, there was an no. American versus Japanese release. But no. I mean, and that's what I believed for years because that's all I knew about the monster movies was from these books. These books are actually what got me started as a monster kid. I read these books as a kid and knew these stories before I sat down to watch any of the films. And I wanted to celebrate that with a new shirt. I'm going to put a image on the screen here in a moment. That'll tell you where you can get your own shirt. Um, and it's a, it's a Hawaiian style shirt, a college shirt, right? With buttons. Correct. Uh, so it's there in the chat right now or on the Twitch stream right now, $35. It includes shipping. You can get up to a six X. I think you probably can go higher, but I don't know. I can't guarantee that. Um, size shirt. I'm rocking a 5X right now and I'm quite comfy in it. Uh, but it's a Hawaiian style shirt uh, using the Crestwood House imagery to really kind of celebrate the monsters that we love so much. I cannot guarantee that it's going to get to you by Christmas. In fact, I can pretty much guarantee it won't because of where it's being printed and sent from and shipping issues. But I guarantee you'll get it in January. So $35 and that includes shipping PayPal me at dicemonsterdice at gmail.com and I'll make sure we get one in the works and sent to you directly from the manufacturer. Uh, and we'll put a link in the show notes for that for those who are listening to this as a podcast. And these are very comfortable shirts. I have another one that, that uh, is a different design than that one because that one just came out. But uh, I'm very pleased with it. It's like I need to go back out amongst humanity so that I can, they can see this shirt, this really cool shirt I have. So hopefully next year, we'll see. I, I'm pretty proud of this one. I mean, yes, a lot of the iconography comes from the Crestwood House books, sure. But the back of the shirt has the King Kong image on it, you know, which is what's on the back of the Crestwood House books. 
unfortunately, the dimension of the back of the book doesn't quite match the dimension of the back of the shirt. So what I nope. had to do is I had to find the exact publicity photo that was used <laughs> and cropped for the book to then extend it and make it fit on the shirt. So if you look at the back of the book, it's like cut off just beneath, beneath the waist. But on the shirt, it goes a little bit further down. And that's because I went and I, I did my work, man. I didn't just go and copy and paste is what I'm saying. So <laughs> Derek is working for this. He's not just using old advertising materials. Exactly. Exactly. And I enhance a few things here and there and clean some things up. I'm very happy with the shirt. It's very comfy. I love it. I do promise so that the next one that I design will not be orange and black. Because I feel like I've done orange and black <laughs> on the last two or three. Um, they're good colors. halloween man. It's the Halloween colors, man. But anyway, uh, yeah, please I have consider a, supporting uh, the podcast that way as well. I love Derek's shirts. So I'm wearing one now that supports the Monster Conservancy. I don't know if you guys can see that. Um, but I also have, I have like a drawer full of them. I have to get rid of some old shirts so I have more Monster Kid Radio shirts because they're at, T Public uh, slash Monster Kid Radio, I think, for your T Public store, if I remember right. So uh, the guys in the in the chat room will probably tell us if I'm wrong, but I believe that is the correct one. And you can find your White Zombie Christ- Christmas and your Monster Conservancy shirt and uh, Godzilla and Rodan and all sorts of things, including the is it that German poster that claims that Godzilla is fighting King Kong and it's really fake. <laughs> Godzilla. <laughs> I'm fascinated by that. Uh, I'm surprised that I actually didn't say Frankenstein on there somewhere. Because when right, Frankenstein yeah. Conquers the World came out, it did so well in Germany that they started re-releasing the kaiju films, but putting the word Frankenstein on the poster somewhere. Like, Frankenstein became their version of the word kaiju. Uh, it's nuts. And I love it. Sure, why not? <laughs> why not? Speaking of all those wonderful monsters, I think, unless yes. you've got some other stuff, it's time to segue back into the big category, the final category, the category where I have no idea how many we're each going to do because I'm not sure how many there are. There's Ten 11 on here, and I'm just going to let it ride, and I'm going to let you take the first one because I know, again, it's one of your favorites. All right, best monster from this era, we've got the Cyclops, the iconic Cyclops. With the uh, the hairy goat feet from the seventh voyage of so Tibet. good, so good. One of the best monsters of all time. I love this monster. I love this film. Then we have the Yeti, the mysterious Yeti from the abominable snowman with Peter Cushing and Forrest Tucker. Very interesting. If you like animated things and you like stop motion animation and you don't want to go for the Cyclops, which you should. You've got the giant scorpions from the Black Scorpion, and that includes the really great scorpion face, which I know people make fun of, the close-up scorpion face, because it doesn't look anything like the other scorpions. I love that face, and I love this movie. Speaking of faces and things that have them, the blob from the blob. How many other films have you seen a blob-like character in? Tons, right? They're all from this. They're all from the blob. I know there used to be, I was sad that uh, I did not pick up a little piece of the blob last time it was at Monster Bash, because now I, I guess the caretaker of the blob has died, and the Lord knows if you'll ever be able to see or buy a piece of it anymore. Yeah, there, there, there are two people that had pieces of the blob, um, one who actually had the remains of the blob in a bucket, and he passed, and then earlier this year, Chris Yeaworth, uh, son of the 
producer of the blob right uh, right also passed away and you know i know that he was selling pieces of the blob as well uh in my living room i do have a small piece of the blob i really ought to keep it in the freezer but you know <laughs> yeah you may learn that to your regret one day because this next one is kind of a favorite of yours i'm gonna let you take it it's gore from the brain from planet eros and you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna call you out man i'm throwing you under the bus you told me to take this off the list I did. <laughs> no, man. I, I also I also thought about taking the scorpions off the list because, man, they're just scorpions, right? You, you said, get it down to eight. I was like, okay, I'll be ruthless. And I said, take no, Gore no. off the list. <laughs> no, Gore is fantastic. Uh, I, I love the brain for plenty of us. Uh, I used to argue with Chris Mim, you know, filmmaker Chris Mim, about John Agar's best movies, uh, best movie. And I always say Revenge of the Creature because it's, you know, it's a creature. Right. He loves the brain for plenty of us. And, uh, that makes perfect right. sense it's, to me. It's it's a tight tight race. So I'm Gore is the title character, the man. But you know, yep, Gore is the title character from the brain from he's, Planet he's of the bad brain. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm sorry. The bad brain. The bad brain. <laughs> um, and like, then you know we got the giant eye creatures, whatever you want to call them, from the crawling eye. Uh, somebody in the chat, I think it was Digital Dak, was asking about. Uh, was this uh, the first tentacle creature in a movie? I don't. Oh, that's a darn good question. I mean, there have been octopus. not ca- not counting the giant octopus, and it came from beneath the sea, right? There mm-hmm. is. There's also the tentacle creature in um, the Corman picture. Is it from the ocean? It came the ocean floor monster. Monster from the ocean floor. There's that one. Just keep saying all the different words and different combinations. He'll come up with three or four corners. <laughs> I'm not forms. making this up. There's no, no, no. I'm just saying he he was like a mad lib of movie titles. Just <laughs> right, yeah. Corbin was kind of a mad lib of movie titles. It's like let's get that title, let's get the poster, and then we'll then we'll make a film to fit it. So uh, that's a good question. Not counting undersea creatures, is that the first tentacle monster ever? A tentacle monster that shouldn't have tentacles? I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it's a good question. Good question. Well, what didn't have a tentacle, but it sure used it like a tentacle, was the brain spine creatures from Fiend Without a Face. I don't know what you'd call them. Uh, they're kind of called, the I think they're called the Thought Monsters in the original short story that it's based on. But they're the brain spine creatures, and they're creepy. They're very creepy, and they're stop motion animation, too. So if you're not voting for... Cyclops in stop motion or giant scorpions in stop motion, the brain spine creatures from Fiend Without a Face, they also qualify as stop motion monsters. True. Uh, now, this next listing, uh, The Fly from The Fly, I suppose he could vote for either version or both versions of the monster in this, <laughs> or The Fly in this, because they're, without spoiling a movie that came out in the mid to late 50s, uh, there, there are two different iterations of a fly creature or being in this film and they're both pretty unnerving one they just both looks scared cool. the devil out of me when i was a little kid one looks cool <laughs> and one just is unnerving and yep absolutely yeah. Yeah. creepy as all get out david hennison the fly and two different fly forms so two reasons to vote for the fly yeah. and we're going back to the big man here for dracula Dracula from Horror of Dracula, Christopher Lee has the iconic count. And in any other set of years, 
you'd think he would probably be a walk-away win, and maybe he still will be a walk-away win because Hammer Vampires can't turn into bats, at least not in the Dracula series. So he's going to walk away. He can't fly away from that broken ice in the next film. Good point. Good point. Got to walk away. Uh, we'll see if Dracula can end up the winner. What more can you say about Dracula? Well, he's not the alien from it, the terror from beyond space. Um, but we talked about this at the beginning of all this. I know, yes, the mask didn't fit and the dude's chin sticks out through the mouth hole. To me, <laughs> my brain just says, well, that's just his tongue or whatever. Yep, he's an alien. Does it matter? It's an, it's an alien. And it's a creepy it, alien. And it's a it's a very cool alien. It's by Paul Blaisdell, which thankfully my mind just rescued that name from the ether when I was like, who designed that? And my brain says, hey, it's Paul Blaisdell, idiot. Another great Paul Blaisdell monster uh, who created the she-creature and uh, yet from it conquered the world. It's a great monster designer. And this it's a fun one. And the, the fact that he had to improvise the chin, it almost even makes it better in some ways. Yeah. Because yeah. that, that is low-budget filmmaking at its finest. And this is not low budget filmmaking, but it was intended to be a TV movie or a TV show or something originally. So we're going to finish off with Varon, the uh, kaiju from Varon. I'm on TV. I, I, I have been since the first time I saw it. And the first time I saw it was the American release from the 60s. Now I've gone back and watched the Japanese version. I love them both as different beasts. The American one without getting too off track because it's not really relevant to the ballot. <laughs> There's a lot of imperialism in that film. Well, when they did Godzilla King of the Monsters versus Gojira, it holds up. Yep. Randy of Unbelievable doesn't hold up nearly as well. No. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of problems with it. But I love the monster, and I love that kaiju. Yes, I love Godzilla and Gamera and the big guns and all that, but I almost find myself loving the one-offs or the two-offs, uh, the, the, you know, the t B team more. And I don't right. know why that is about me. Um, I've been really kind of thinking about this a lot lately regarding a lot of different things in my life, comic books, movies, you know, all this stuff. Why do I always drift toward the odd ones out? I don't know. But Varan is just awesome. Looks great. He's a flying kaiju uh, that doesn't look ridiculous when he's flying. And uh, yeah, I just love him. Yeah, and I love him too. For for a kaiju that only appears in I think three movies, it's this, destroy all monsters, and then the uh, the the final wars. With a that little going for him, you'd think I wouldn't be as crazy about him as I am. But I he looks great in the Japanese version. Here he gets to fly. That's super. He doesn't fly in the American version, as I recall. It, it, he's just a a very neat monster, um, and. They've also, Ifukube, the uh, the great composer, also wrote a lot of great music for Varan that he then reused for, for Godzilla, Rodan, and all the rest of them. So there's a lot of stuff going for Varan, as well as the fact that he just looks really cool. All right, so uh, let's see here. A couple of comments uh, from Morbius71. The Scorpion model from the Black Scorpion was at Monster Bash in 2004. Um, it was not. <laughs> He's ma you're making this up, Barbius. That's awesome. Uh, let's see. Uh, did somebody did bring up what I think about Asian zombie movies? Um, you know, stay tuned. 
I'm revisiting the zombie subgenre in 2023. So stay tuned. I'm, I'm I just bought a um a Asian zombie movie double feature. One of is it like Train to Busan and the Peninsula yeah. or something like that? They're very recent and I haven't had a chance to watch them yet. And I was like, well, this looks really cool. Let's see what let's see what's going on with that. Uh, the real Stanox is like, wait, there isn't a different Japanese version of King Kong versus Godzilla? Sadly, no. Um, that that was something that Forrest Ackerman. Maybe he heard it. Yeah, maybe we, don't heard it s- we don't want to. We don't. We don't want to say that he made it up out of whole cloth, but he certainly reported it enough that everyone else believed it. So no. Also, no, it, um, at the most, there might be, and I haven't watched my versions lately. There might be a roar of Godzilla at the end, but I don't even think there is. Morbius 71 says he's got photos of the Black Scorpion that uh, <laughs> Anchors and Denning's daughter, D brought it with her. So that's really? incredibly cool. That's uh, amazing. And I knew that she was at one point a guest at Monster Bash. So how cool is that? Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't say hello to my love, my fiance, Beth, who uh, posted hello from your best girl. And your favorite furry dude, he came running when I tuned in because he thought I was there. He, she's got two uh, kitties, Juniper and Rex, and uh, Juniper is my homeboy. So, um, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's Don't a, tell Wednesday. You know, Wednesday's my home girl. You know, she's my little one. <laughs> Juniper's my homeboy, and I, I love that dude. And Rex is pretty cool, too. But Juniper, Juniper and I were tight. He's my homie. So, and at some point, hopefully, there will be a mixed kitty family, just like the Brady Bunch. Working on it. Here's uh, the story see. of a lovely kitty. <laughs> Digital Doc has not seen Brain from Planet Arrows. Dude, you got to see it. You got to see it. Uh, let's see. Malachi 17. Monster from Roger Corman's Day the World Ended. Um, Modified Tentacles, I think, is part of that conversation. All right. Day the World Ended. Um, It has Clark Crab Claws and kind of claws, as I remember. I don't know if it has tentacles, though. Does not it? It's got... It's got a horn. It's got an extra set of arms that are kind of like claw-like arms and baby claws on it. But I'm not sure if it actually has tentacles. That's it's, that's an interesting ongoing question. Then, and I think we're we're a couple of years from Dover, a space monster, which definitely has tentacles, um, and is lives in the in the clouds rather than in the sea, but. I don't know. I'm I'm curious about this now that that's been brought up. We'll have to do a deep dive of tentacles, which, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, I did post a link to the rally ballot in the chat. Go to tinyurl.com slash rallies2022p2 for part two. So tinyurl.com slash rallies2022p2. So, um, and this is one of the reasons why I love this girl so much. Beth says, speaking as someone who's played a tentacle live on stage, I can say the tentacles make everything better. Always. <laughs> so, yeah, I, 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 I have chosen wisely. Do we uh, want to know I, more I, about I, that or not? I love her so much. It was for a rock and roll pirate musical and there were tentacles she, involved. So she seems, a, she seems to be a really good match for you. Derek. She's I'm, I'm so awesome. happy for you. I, I could turn this into the Beth Appreciation Show, uh, uh, but um, I don't know how many people would really want to tune in for that other than Beth. Um, <laughs> so 
<laughs> I love you, Beth, and I'll see you soon. I'm hoping I can see you tonight. Well, if she's going to be on Twitch, she has to wear a swimsuit and be in a little waiting pool, right? Isn't that the Twitch thing? Do you know about this? Why, why, I'm not, I know I'm not the only one that knows about this because I've seen other people talk about it in the MKR thing. That that is seems to be the, the way to make money on Twitch. So you and I are going to have to, you're going to have to design a Monster Kid Radio swimsuit and you and I are going to have to get waiting pools, my friend. <laughs> Something else that's in the works for 2023. So anyway, um, so tinyurl.com slash rallies 2022P2. Please head over there to cast your ballot. Please do not cheat. Uh, I think I forgot to put the name and email part of the ballot in. So uh, we'll leave that alone. Uh, we'll just hope that everybody's kind of honest here. Uh, ballot is due by the end of the year, by the end of the month, December 31st. And did you get the write-ins in for anyone foolish I enough did. to think? I did. Awesome. Uh, I do want to address one omission. Vincent yes. Price did not make the list, and I'll tell you why. Why? He's not the lead of the fly, man. He's he's a, he's a minor character at best in that thing. And I know that years later on Hollywood Squares, he would say, I played the fly. Dude, you lied, man. No, you didn't. <laughs> I, I love you, man. But what, come on, man. Well, that was in the, the, the two of us uh, song that he does with Karloff, too. Right. Was, I, I, was, I was Frankenstein and I was the fly. And neither of them, Boris wasn't Frankenstein and Vincent wasn't the fly. <laughs> Well, Boris was in Frankenstein 1970, who is on the ballot. He, so. he was, yes, in that one, but not in the way that people think. Not when they think. But <laughs> if you want to put Vincent Price down for best actor, feel free to fill in the, the, the right end. Absolutely. So, um, when Absolutely. we do return or yeah, return of the fly, I think we can guarantee Vincent Price will make an appearance. He's a much bigger part of that film. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait to see what happens when we start pitting some Hammer films against some Roger Corman stuff. That'll be fun. Right. Well, we're running out of running out of room here in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. So we've got one more set to do this next year, I think. Yep. And then once we get into, assuming we keep going, and yeah, I can't see any reason not to. We'll yeah, get into, life willing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're going to do the 1960s. We're going to break it down a little differently. And then we'll probably also visit some serials as well, which... Um, I think yeah, this is a record. This is the first time we've done a rallies where Steve didn't mention a, a cereal, um, or, or, or lament <laughs> that we didn't talk about cereals. So, you know, it, it will happen in the future. Uh, just stay tuned for that. <laughs> there will be cereals coming your way. Well, this time the, it was so crowded. I didn't have to try to pad it out with, with, uh, zombies from the stratosphere or whatever other cereals were coming. I out love of. that. I love that. I love it. So. I, I, I do too. I, I'm a huge fan of cereals, as everyone right. knows. So, uh, let's go ahead and get this wrapped up. We're going to sign this, sign off here shortly. If you're listening to this as a podcast, stay tuned because you'll hear all the outro stuff at the end. If you're watching this live, thank you for being here. And if this recorded the way that I think it did, I'm going to play this recording back on the stream for a little while. I'll put it on a loop and then stay tuned to the stream because this weekend I'm going to start a new loop. The Mexican Santa Claus movie where Santa Claus teams up with Merlin to go fight the devil and save the pizza. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. <laughs> it's a Christmas tradition, put us in man. between just to give people a break. What's that? You put us in between the devil 
to give people a break. Hey, <laughs> you're Steve and Tarek again, so you're not watching Santa Claus beat up the devil or the other way around. I wonder, should I do this and then just rotate it between? I don't know. Bottom Go line, for stay it, tuned. There's going to be some Santa Claus Christmas stuff coming. Uh, and then I think after Christmas, we're probably going to do some more loops of fun in balloon land because <laughs> it's a parade movie and parades and holidays go together. Uh, and then in January, we're going to get back to seeing what we can do about doing some, at least some live shows on Saturday at the very least. Awesome. Awesome. It was great being here, Derek. Uh, com. Everybody knows that by now. I look forward to chatting with you guys. If you stick on a little while, maybe I'll, I'll fire up Twitch. Uh, once I'm not worrying about having to to crash the Skype that we're using and uh, see if anyone's still around. So have a great night. Thank you for doing this. I had a great time as always. Have a very happy holiday season, a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, and anything else I've forgotten in a very happy New Year. Sounds good. Thanks again for being here, everybody. Thanks for all the new timers who are in the chat. Please stick around if you want to chat with Steve. I'm going to sign off because I need to eat something and then I need to uh, go see my homeboy Juniper and, and his uh, his mom, Beth. I need to go check in with them. So, uh, anyway, have a good night, everybody. Thanks for being here. Steve and Derek, signing off. I have no idea what that was, but I'm going to leave it in there. <laughs> that was like the old Captain Video thing, right? I'm sure. You've never seen the the Captain Video mask before? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that worked out really well. All right, well, that brings us to the end of the show. But I told you at the beginning of the show that there's going to be more stuff for you. And this is what I want to share with you. What's happening next week on the podcast? I'm super excited about this. I... No episode 600 could be looked at as like a special event or special occasion. And I want to treat it as something special, but you know, life got in the way and I couldn't really do this big build up to it. So we're going to keep it pretty low key, but we're going to incorporate Twitch again Wednesday at 6 PM Pacific twitch.tv slash monster kid radio. It's live. We're going to do a live session, ladies and gentlemen. I want you to join us. I want you to follow us on Twitch. I would love for you to subscribe, but I want you to follow us on Twitch so you get notified when I go live on Wednesday of next week, which will be December 21st, 6 p.m. Pacific, an hour of just us hanging out. Ask D anything, anything, preferably about Monster Kid Radio, but ask me anything. I'm an open book and I'm looking forward to interacting with you on Twitch at that time. Now we have some feedback that I've been sitting on that I got since the last episode where I kind of dropped some hot takes. I'll go over those next week live in the Twitch stream as well. And then of course that audio will be captured and will become the episode episode 600 that goes out next week as well. So if you want to participate in the ask D anything, you just monster What's a good word to put here? The Pose it to the monster kid. Uh, monster kid conversation. Um, stump, stump the monster kid. I, I don't know. Just ask me anything. Come and hang out. It'll be fun. We'll talk about monster movies. We'll talk about whatever you want. And like I said, we got the feedback as well. And if you have any other feedback that you'd like to share with the show, anything that you want to 
make sure we talk about next week, feel free to email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or call and leave me a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. Please drop me a line if you have any feedback that you'd like me to address during next week's big live event. Cool? Cool. So our voicemail information, our contact information, that's available on our website at monsterkidradio.net. So go over there if you want to know anything about Monster Kid Radio. Follow the links in the show notes. Follow up with the Rally Award ballot. It's going to be over there at tinyurl.com slash rallies 2022p2 or just follow the link over there at monsterkidradio.net. And I mentioned this during the conversation with Steve. Please consider while you're doing your Amazon shopping for the holidays, please consider using the Amazon affiliate link. You can't miss it on our website. If you find the Frankenstein monster with the Amazon A in it, just click on that. It takes you to regular Amazon. You don't have to do anything else special after you click on that. Just click on that, then do your shopping and your buying, and it scrapes like a penny or two off the top and sends it my way and helps to support the podcast. So any help that you can provide there would be amazing. Also, I mentioned a new shirt design in the live conversation with Steve. I was actually wearing the shirt then. I might even try to make a point of wearing it again next Wednesday. But if you want to see what that shirt looks like, again, monsterkidradio.net is where you're going to want to go to check that out. Cool? Cool. I'm really excited about next week. But to get to next week, got to get through the next six or seven days. And to do that, I need to wrap up and get this out there. So remember, ladies and gentlemen, Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week or maybe even earlier on Wednesday on twitch.tv slash Monster Kid Radio. Ciao.